welcome to the Fromer Travel Show. I'm your host, Pauline Fromer. As always, it's great to be here talking travel. And my guest today, oh boy, is he an expert in that. He is Seth Kugel. He, you may know him as the frugal traveler from the New York Times. He has a new gig at the Gray Lady, uh, which he'll tell us about. He lives half the time here, half the time in Brazil. Hopefully, we'll get to talk about that, too. Hey, Seth, welcome back to the Firmer Travel Show. Hi, Pauline. So fun, as always, to talk to you. Well, you're always the funnest, so we're going to have a good time. And let, let me start by congratulating you. This is big, big news. You are now the columnist for Tripped Up. At the New York Times, tell our listeners what that is. Uh, it's sort of a travel help and advice column. So you could either write in when some airline or hotel or site has has sort of wronged you, or you're in some sort of a bind and can't figure out how to get relief from your travel problem. Like basically, your vacation went wrong, and right. try to get to the bottom of it. But you can also write in with more sort of philosophical or tactical. Uh, questions like uh, I've been now that I'm getting all these emails that come in. Uh, there's some interesting ones just along the lines of like, help, I want to go to Italy uh, in the fall, but I, the flights are so expensive. Do you have any mm. strategies? Is there any way out of it? And, you know, there are certain alternative things you can do. So it's or I'm also really interested in ethical travel questions. You know, how mm. do I figure out what place if a place is really sustainable? Um, you know, anything that uh, should I take pictures of children when I travel? I, I'm interested in, of course, anything having to do with travel that will interest lots of other people. Sure. So, People who write in with problems that lots of other people have. That's what I, how I define it. And I wish I had thought of the name because Tripped Up is a pretty clever name for the column. I, I didn't think. Yeah. That. No, it's it's a damn good name. Before we go into some of the recent questions and uh, ways to solve them, how do people give you their 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 Tripped Up uh, questions? Where, where do they send them? The easiest thing is just to write them to Tripped Up. Uh, at nytimes.com. Okay. Um, they can also find me on Twitter, and I've opened up the um, direct messages or Instagram. Um, so if they prefer, you know, if email's too old-fashioned for you, then you can always get in touch via these, uh, uh, right. via social media. So I want to discuss your first column because it okay. had some truths in it that don't get dropped that often. Um, oh, good. Uh, I think. I thought so. Uh, so can you tell us about the first problem you solved? What what was this uh, person's issue? Right. So this person is really into getting bonuses from these credit cards that are aligned with the airlines or branded with the airlines. And he had worked really hard to get something called a travel together ticket from British Airways, uh, which is sort of regarded in the people who love to get um uh, rewards from credit card offers world right. as a really big ticket item uh, because you can use it to say take someone with you first class uh, anywhere British Airways flies as long as you're originating from the U.S. and uh, you know a first class ticket is of course very expensive sometimes it can be like sure. twenty thousand yeah. dollars so if you get one with the miles you have then you can bring along someone else 
kind of for free. I mean, definitely not for $20,000. So, so just so I can wrap my head around this, yeah. do you have to buy the first round trip ticket and then you get your companion free with this deal? In theory, you do, but you can okay. buy it with miles or points wow. or avios as, the, as British Airways calls it. It's, it's miles. Um there's a little bit of a catch, which is, uh, well, in my mind, as a traveler who travels in coach, uh, it's a big catch, which is you have to pay the taxes and fees. And so in this particular case, um, he was able to get this ticket and, and pay for his own with 255,000 miles, British Airways miles, uh, and then get the travel together one for his wife for quote unquote free, but he also paid $2,378 total in taxes and fees, which we should point out usually can get you two people to Hong Kong or pretty, pretty close uh, in coach if you book in advance and be very careful and, and, you know, do all the right things. Okay. And then the pandemic hit and all his, his uh, plans flew out the window. Did he get the money for those fees back or was there another issue? Was that the issue? No, the issue is that he, uh, the airlines generally speaking have were pretty generous over the course of the pandemic and giving people their money back. And he kind of slipped through the cracks in a way because, uh, British Airways kind of changed its mind on him. And originally they were just going to extend this travel voucher they had given him that would be sort of the same amount with the same travel together ticket for, for year after year after year. And they decided to refund it. But what they didn't do is refund the travel together ticket. So he kind of lost the travel together ticket. He got the money and the miles back and it was classic. It was just a, a mistake by British Airways, uh, I don't think anyone like really meant to screw him or anything. Uh, right. He kind of slipped through the cracks. So we got him his travel together ticket back. Well, a mistake that only got, yeah, a mistake that only got rectified when the New York Times called. Uh, right. Although I will say he did a great job and I, in, in writing to them. And I learned a lot from, uh, from watching what he did, actually. He had gone back and forth so many times and he was edging closer to getting them to I feel like if he had kept going, he probably would have eventually gotten it back because he was not going to give up. And it is mm-hmm. sort of true that if you're continu- continuously polite and you write email after email, it is possible at some point that the airline will just be like, oh, let me get this guy off our backs. Right. Just give right. What he wants. Not always. Not always. But I feel right. like he might have done it, but at great cost. Like I probably I cannot even imagine his frustration at having lost this benefit. Oh, yeah. Well, it's worth, what, $20,000 at minimum, right? I mean, this is, Pauline, this is where, you know, the interpretation huh. is, is is different. I mean, it, it in this case, when I re-ran all the numbers, it probably was worth, quote unquote, $9,000. And I put worth in quotes because it's not worth $9,000 to me. Like, hmm. if, if I had a, uh, if you gave me $9,000, uh, I would go and coach to Hong Kong. Sure. And then I keep the extra money. It, it's definitely to me not worth nine thousand, but to him it was, I guess, or at least worth a lot. Um, and that's kind of that's kind of where this was a tricky one. I have to admit that sort of personally, I didn't feel too much sympathy for this <laughs> writer, like that he lost his first class ticket. But that's not my job. I mean, he was clearly wronged by the airline, and he got it back. But it, I used it as a chance to sort of, as as you know, teach people about what these credit cards are and what the various pro, pro, I'm sorry, pros and cons are of, of getting them. 
Well, they're very that's, business. that's why I wanted to have you on the show, because I feel like uh, at the height of the pandemic, the airlines were all in trouble. And to stay liquid, a lot of them more went uh, put together mortgages. Mm. What did they mortgage? They didn't mortgage planes. They mortgaged their points programs <laughs> because they make so damn much money from these points programs. And there's a whole cottage industry in travel journalism of getting money from these points programs to talk about how great these points programs are. Uh, I mean, I don't want to get myself into trouble, uh, but uh, you're one of the few people who has said in print in a major publication, they're not for everyone. Well, I mean, first of all, it's not a cottage industry. It's like a a luxury mansion industry. I mean, (laughs) a huge, huge it's, it's as big as the airlines themselves, you know, literally in, in certain cases, the, the size of these businesses. Um, and I honestly think the world would be better off if if these programs had never come into existence. I, I, well, there's a lot of things in our world that would be better if it had never come into existence. And yet it's in existence. So we have to deal with it. I, sure. I suspect miles and points and loyalty programs are one of those things. I mean, it serves a clear purpose. It, it, if, you, if you're deciding between flying Delta and American, um, there's really, I mean, people will argue that Delta is better or American is better. But at the end of the day, really, the price matters a lot more than anything else, unless sure. you have a loyalty program. And then, so that's why they do it. They want to get you to stick to them. But that's, this is just, it's it's so out of control and uh, I just got two such interesting responses to my column. Maybe I'll, I'll just tell you. So, so the column basically talks through like the pros and cons about like, well, you have to be very organized to get these award, these bonuses and you can't screw up because then you're worse off than if you had just gotten a regular credit card to begin with. And I got two such contradictory uh, notes from people. One person said more or less what you're saying, which is thank God someone else finally said that these things are very complicated and you might be better off with the best deal out there for many people is this 2% back uh, card that has no annual fee. It's very simple. I mean, you have to get it. You have to have good enough credit to get it, which is not everyone has, but if you can get it, you just get 2% back. Everything, essentially everything you ever buy on this credit card is 98% of the price it was going to be eventually because you get this back and it's automatic. You'll never have a fee that unless you don't pay your bill on time, you'll never have a fee. And, that's just so simple and right. they're so complicated. So someone wrote in and said, yes, I'm so happy someone said that. The other person wrote in and said, Seth, you were doing a huge disservice to your readers. I got the Venture X card from Capital One and look at everything I got. And, you know, he listed a very impressive set of uh, bonuses and rewards and, and things like the priority pass, which gets you into the um, club, you know, some of the lounges right, in the right. airport. Um, and I agreed with him that absolutely, if you're super organized financially and the minute you get this card, you switch all your, your bills over to the card so you can get the four thousand, you can pay $4,000, you can buy $4,000 on your card within three months just to get the first bonus. And Mm -hmm. if you think this way, then it's a great card. There's no doubt. But he missed the point that not everyone is like him. In fact, many people are like me, disorganized. 
disorganized and there are penalties for being disorganized with a lot of these cards. If you don't pay your bills on time, wow, they get you. And I I also think very quickly, uh, I also think sometimes by going for the best deal, if you see a good airfare and you just go for that and you're already getting the 2% back on another card, Mm -hmm. I bet it works out the same way. I mean, sometimes it works out better. Sometimes it works out worse. I mean, I just got a new card, a new Amex card, I mean, from Delta. I'll just say it. I'm not saying it's a great card. It works for me because I have some status on on Delta. Uh, But I thought about it very hard. I mean, I mentioned in the piece, too, like I said, what is this thing going to get me? It could help me with my status. It it gets me like 90,000 or 70,000 miles or whatever, and I can go to Brazil and back with that once. But I really thought about it. And and. And it could also go totally wrong. You know, right. I mean, the points, uh, you know, there could be a pandemic could get worse again and travel could all stop. I, I mean, I hope not, but then I might not get to use those points. Sure. Uh, priority pass, which I also uh, have from a different card. That's only good if if you're traveling, you know, and it's mm-hmm. not as good as it seems. Those lounges that you go get with priority pass are definitely not the best lounges. They're not in every airport. You know, I, 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 you know, sometimes it just doesn't work out. There's so right. many calculations. And again, it's, it's almost like a game. I mean, it is almost, it is a game. It is a game. And if you want to play the game, you better be all in or you could easily get screwed. And I don't yeah. necessarily screwed like thousands, thousands of dollars, but you know, I've had cards that the first year there's no annual fee and great. And then suddenly you're like, well, how did I, what did I get? Just get charged $395 for Oof. And you realize it's the second year and you forgot to cancel. Right. No, I I am I was at a travel writer's kind of like party once mm-hmm. and I admitted to the person I was speaking to that I don't really collect points. I go for the the cheapest airfare, and I'm five foot three and fairly small. I don't care if I'm sitting in economy class. I just get a good book, and I I don't need to be upgraded. I don't need to go to the damn lounge. I don't care about that stuff. To me, that's not what what travel is about. That's it's just about getting from point A to point B, and I don't want to spend too many brain cells on that. I almost completely agree with you. And the only reason I have these cards at all is when I was traveling a lot, I just thought that priority pass looked very good. You know, if, hmm. if you if you're if you're taking 20 flights a year and 17 of well, then that's 40 airport visits. If you can get into a lounge 30 times where you can essentially eat for free and have a place yeah. where you can be guaranteed quiet. So that's why I did it. But you have to keep on it. You have to keep track of it. I I. It's just, it's whatever you yourself, you know, I just heard this piece of advice about advice, which is, you know, don't take anyone else's advice. They don't know <laughs> what's best for you. you sure. Know, you have to, you have to listen to people and some people will say the cards are great and some will terrible. And you're going to say, who, who am I more like? Am I more like a person who is fine going in coach, doesn't want to think about it and just is going to take the cheapest flight no matter what? Well, you're, you're probably winning in the end. Right. And you're and you're probably like watching a show on Netflix instead of like cal- doing calculations at night to figure out, you know, you're relaxing yeah. with a cup of tea. I mean, we all 
like to do, we all have certain priorities. And right. some people's priority is, I don't need another thing to think about or worry about. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I do worry about the fact that uh, Hopper just came out with the study that compared to 2019, airfares domestically are up. I think they said it was either 36% or 38%. So I know, are you researching this for another one? Can we talk airfares going up or well, would you rather I mean, not? I, no, no, I can, I can talk about them a little bit. Um, I only, I'm not researching it. However, um, I know about it and, yeah. I, and I, I don't know about it as much domestic airfare as international, but I'll, I'll uh, I of course go off into Brazil. The flights are probably four times what they cost during the pandemic when they hit like an all time low. Sure. Um, and then I, I teach also at New York University, uh, and um, one of my students, a journalism student, just wrote an amazing story about what flights cost to China these days. I mean, mm. of course, most people aren't traveling to China for tourism now because right. uh, you have to go through such crazy um, quarantines and, and that sort of stuff. And I don't even know if it's open for tourism. But uh, students who have family in China and need to go back. Uh, they're paying $5,000, $6,000 wow. round trip. Um, and some of this is, of course, uh, the fuel, that fuel is more expensive. Some of this is that demand has, you know, for the domestic flights anyway, everyone's taking the trips they haven't taken in a long time. The, mm -hmm. the airlines had to, um, um, you know, lower their prices during the pandemic just to get anyone to fly. Um, and some of them, who knows? Who knows what it is? But, yes, prices are way up. And the other thing that's happening um, which I'm, I'm thinking about looking into is how many flight routes are getting changed at the last second. And it's a very frustrating time and expensive time to fly these days. So did your student come up with any solutions for getting back to China affordably? No, but no. She, may have come, she may have come up with a solution to get an A in my class because it was a great story. <laughs> oh, well, that's, that's, that's a win at least. Uh, <laughs> so... You go to Brazil all the time. In fact, you've, you've lived there for long periods mm -hmm. of time. That mm -hmm. would probably surprise a lot of people who see Brazil as being too dangerous to visit. Well, what would you say to them? Well, I mean, the first thing I'd say is that that's like saying the United States is too dangerous. You know, hmm. there's, it's a huge, huge country. And believe me, there are cities in the U.S. with higher murder rates than many cities in Brazil. So, you know, dangerous is in the, in the eye of the beholder in some ways. Um, that said, uh, Brazil is a dangerous sort of place overall on average. So it's not, you know, it's not the kind of place where if you're the kind of tourist that just likes to walk around freely and not even think about uh, put in risk or whatever, uh, then you don't, yeah, you don't want to go to Rio de Janeiro and, and just wander the city, mm -hmm. uh, because you're likely to wander into some parts of the city, uh, that are, are dangerous where you might get mugged. And in fact, you might get mugged in by the beach, uh, sure. Ipanema beach. So you, you do have to be careful and you have to know what you're doing, but it's not really that different than, many, many other countries. I mean, certainly Mexico uh, is also uh, getting a reputation for having high crime rates and murder rates, but it also, again, depends on where you go. Um, Brazil uh, and Mexico, I should add, are places so rich 
in culture of every kind, whether it be food or music or history or archaeology, that, you know, some people are just going to say that's that's worth it. And the other thing is, um, you know, quite honestly, uh, it, if you're a, a traveler and that means you have a certain economic level of uh, well-being, you're going to avoid a lot of the problems just because, you know, these are problems that exist in in sort of neighborhoods that are lower uh, socioeconomic sure. status i mean it, it's it's i mean travelers are elitists in a certain way yeah and unless you're the kind of person that w- will refuses not to walk wherever you want to walk you're safer than you otherwise would be and I got a and I got a second what you said about the culture of Brazil. I was lucky enough to visit it. Oh boy, my younger daughter was still in diapers, so she was, I guess, a year and a half. She's nineteen now, so this was quite some time ago. I got to go back, and uh, just uh, the variety of the sites and uh the the actually they both got sick both of my children got <laughs> sick there uh they were sick before we went and they 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 were just it was a mess but well, the the kindness enough. yeah the kindness that we uh, uh got from the brazilian people who and this is going to sound really shallow but i think they're the most beautiful people as people I've ever seen. I think because there's such a, a mixing of different types mm-hmm. of people there uh, that it's created this race of gorgeous, gorgeous individuals. And they're also very stylish. I, I, I'm not sure why. why. Am I right or wrong about well, this? Um, I mean, that is a very complex question. Were you, where were you in Brazil? Would be my first I was question. in, okay, I was in Rio I was, and Parachi, and then we went to Iguazu. Right. Okay. So, I mean, I don't know how deeply you want to get into this, but people in Rio are beautiful. I mean, I don't think they take care of them. First of all, they're, um, as you said, they're, it's just racial diversity often mixed up in one person of African, indigenous and European, not to mention uh, immigration from the Middle East. There's a lot of Syrian, Lebanese origin Mm. there. Um, In Sao Paulo, there's a lot of Japanese uh, immigration or there was a hundred plus years ago. So they do have this amazing mix. It's a fascinating people to, Watch literally physically because you can have all kinds of like the genetic lottery pays off in all kinds of different ways. And yeah. so it's, a, it's fascinating just to walk down the street there if, if you're fascinated by that kind of thing. Um, there are, if you ask a Brazilian, uh, they will tell you there are certain parts of the country where they have a reputation for not being so good looking. I don't want to get into that. Um, <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, okay, it's not entirely untrue. I will. I will just say. So it really oh. just depends on where you go. Um, you know, there's there's places where um, the, the beach in Rio has created a, a culture where the way you look is important, and right. for better or for for worse. I'm sure people have very differing moments. Like people stay in shape, you know. Mm-hmm. But then again, they also get plastic surgery. So. Um, mm. You do have a beautiful bunch of of people there. Now, also, if you ask people outside of Rio, they'd be like, yeah, but those people in Rio, the cariocas are such a pain. You know? <laughs> like they never, they, they, they'll they tell you they're going to make plans with you and then they, they blow you off. And then, the, I mean, it's a, a rivalry in interior, like it's, it's an internal rivalry, like 
like many others in other countries, but it's pretty much like New York, LA. Oh, um, or, interesting. Or yeah. Coast, West Coast or, you know, or lately rural urban. Rural well, urban. I got to say, I mean, we we had two small children with us, so we spent a lot of time on the beach. Oh, and yeah. you can live your life on those beaches. Oh, yeah. People would come by with food. People would come by with massive racks of clothing for you to potentially buy. Well, uh, people would set up massage tables. I mean, you, you had everything you needed on the beach. Well... Like, you know, let me just tell you what a Brazilian would say if you said that to them. They would say, no, that's not exactly right, Pauline. It's that your beaches are so boring. People just <laughs> go to the beach in, the, in Florida and just sit there. And right. What are they? They're reading. They're reading. Why would you read on the beach? That's a place to socialize. That's a place to flirt. That's a place to meet friends. That's a place to eat. That's a place more and more in Brazil. Actually, there's a, some controversy over um, music on the beach. You, you go to some beaches, and 18 different people will have their portable speakers trying to outblast the other person, which is not wow. not good. Not good. Mm. But um, but the beach to the Brazilians is in many cases a social place right. and it's a place to do everything you would do socially and i won't get into the details but there's a lot of flirting there's a lot of eating uh there's a lot of laughing uh there's not too much novel reading going on right no we loved it I, it was like being in somebody's living room really but yes. like 20 somebody's living room everybody was just <laughs> living their lives on the beach and it was it was magical it was amazing so if somebody wants to go to brazil for the first time mm-hmm. what's the ideal uh things that they should see and do where, where they have a week and a half yeah uh well there's I mean, I would break Brazil into three great first-time destinations. You certainly can't do them all in a week and a half. Mm. You can possibly be do two. I mean, Rio de Janeiro as a city, and when you mentioned Parachi, that's only a few hours' drive from Rio. Right. So it's that whole coast. Like, the combination of Rio the city and, and the coastal beaches nearby, I think they have to be the top priority. I mean... In a way, it's like, where should you go in the United States? And you say New York City. It's different from the rest of the United States, but it's so American as well that you almost can't not go there. Mm. And Rio is all of Brazil distilled into one city in much the same way New York City is American distilled. It's not the same thing, but it is intense. So, yes. So, Rio, hard to avoid. Um, The second uh, big attraction, I think, most people would agree is the amazon and being a a tourist in the amazon is of course a tricky business because it's so big and vast it's largely inaccessible but i will recommend people look into an amazonian cruise and i don't mean a cruise like a big cruise i mean like a Mm -hmm. little boat that's nimble and can get you in and out of national parks and faraway places. Uh, And usually uh, the advantage of those boats that might take eight to 20 or 30 people is if they have a great, they have a great guide and they motor at night. So when you're sleeping in the boat, you'll, you'll, you'll go like hundreds of miles, Wow! uh, which is the kind of territory you need to cover to see the, even a tiny portion of the Amazon. So it's a, it's tricky. You really need to research the Amazon. There are also like lodges, uh, but I don't like them quite as much because you only see one place. I mean, it's a beautiful place, but you only see one place. And then I just have to mention 
I if you want a sort of an alternative, like a wild card destination, the state of Minas Gerais, which is spelled G-E-R-A-I-S, so M-I-N-A-S, new word G-E-R-A-I-S, mm-hmm. is really an un... I mean, by foreign tourists, an undiscovered place. It is uh, so many things you probably didn't really think Brazil was. It has these amazing colonial cities, which mm. are, it's the old uh, mining area. So it's where they uh, found gold and uh, diamonds. And these cities, I have to say, were all built with slave labor. And Brazil has a horrible history of slavery. But I mean, you can say that most of Europe was built to some extent on colonialism. So um, these gorgeous cities, unbelievable mountains, the best food, regional food in Brazil is in Minas Gerais. And also the Brazilian liquor, cachaça, is uh, largely from Minas Gerais as well. And the people are even nicer than the people you met in Rio. So... um, and that's more accessible for Rio. So you could go to Rio for a week and then pop into the colonial cities, which is how you'll find them if you Google, uh, of uh, Minas Gerais. And that would be a great itinerary. Save the Amazon for a trip, too. Save. Yeah, that sounds, fa- that sounds like a great one. You, uh, when you were talking, what is the major city in the Amazon? region uh, man, man, there's two cities so manaus and belen and belen belen is just the portuguese word for bethlehem but uh, manaus huh. is manaus you can fly to directly from miami uh and you can also fly say from new york to panama city to manaus on copa or there's ways to get to manaus so if you are interested in the amazon that's um, where you fly into yeah that's where you fly into because it, you, the one thing you, you don't want to do is fly all the way to rio and then fly right. back in the opposite direction towards the United States and then go to Manaus. Right, right. You know, when my father was a tour operator uh, many, many years ago, this is probably the 70s, Whoa. he was sending people to Rio, but they really, the government of Brazil really wanted more people going to Manaus. And so one day they told him, we're sorry, but your plane is going to go to Manaus first <laughs> and your people will be in Manaus for two days and then they'll go on to Rio. And he had to go to the airport to tell these people who had bought this package from him uh, that, sorry, it's changed. Nobody canceled because they were already at the airport, but they all came back raving about how much they loved Manaus. They, they well, got met with a marching band and they were feted and they just had this extraordinary time and they didn't want to go to Rio. (laughs) Well, I will. I mean, I do. uh, That is an amazing story. And Manaus itself is an interesting city. Of course, what's best is when you get out of Manaus. But uh, I must say for any Brazilian that might be listening, it's important to point out that was during the military dictatorship. Yes. That was doing everything possible (laughs) to destroy the Amazon. So um, the story has a little bit of a black, uh, you know, a dark shadow around it. Yeah. what was really happening behind the scenes Uh, Mm. but 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 that said um manaus is a very interesting city to visit for a couple of days you just need to be sure you have a a good strategy to get out so the last thing i did uh in the amazon now i there's there's also sort of pretty cool things for backpacking types to do in the amazon you get on these slow boats that the the brazilians use to go from one part of the amazon to the other but then you need a few weeks because the Mm. boat is like arrives two days late and then you need a, a good back because you sleep on a hammock and you need a lot oh. of patience it's a real backpackers 
in some way dream. I mean, this is how I, my first trip ever to Brazil, I did a boat down the Amazon. If anyone's ever seen like a motorcycle diaries, the, the uh, Che Guevara kind of goes in the same kind of boat. Uh, yeah. It's very romantic, uh, but it's a little crowded and it's great. So there are ways to do it cheaper. That said, the last time I went, um, went on one of these cruises, the currency is very weak now in Brazil. And so we took advantage of this, went on a great cruise. And that you go to Manaus, you stay for a couple of days, then they pick you up, they drive you like a few hours away to a, a port, and you get on the boat, and then you're gone for like five or six days. That's a great way to do it. Do you have to worry about whether or not your trip is ecologically responsible? I mean, you don't have to worry. Well, I mean, no, but yeah, you should, obviously, because the Amazon is so important to the world's, you know, survival. Uh, how do you know if you're, the boat you're going on is a responsible one? Is there an easy an answer to that or no? Well, the easy answer is if I could remember what the name of the company is, which I'm going to try to Google, you could go with them. They were great. And, and, and believe me, I ended up writing about the trip. It, I didn't go uh, as a correspondent for the Times or anything. Uh, I just went on my own volition so then but i did then report in it and this is a great company but what is the company good question hmm. well there's an article by me in the new york times which I'm gonna okay look right now well, well everybody can look 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 for your your amazon trip in yeah. the new york times but, and, yes, and they can find to it do some very careful reading of the website and uh oh this company also has a um a lodge as well oh it's called a uh, kater expeditions k-a-t-e-r-r-e um and i you know to the extent i looked into it i got their name from brazilian sources who i was asking about and they they seem to be during my trip anyway to be very responsible and they even own sort of uh, land in the amazon that they're letting lay fallow and grow and be a rainforest for their you know for their own touristic purposes which is of course a great solution for the amazon is let's save it because it's a great yeah. tourist attraction there also happens to be a lot of gold and other things there so and palm oil and lots and of land because you clear those clear those trees out you can grow some pretty good soy there hmm. yeah unfortunately well uh, I hate to end on on such a sour note, but it's it's always a delight speaking with you. And and if people want to follow your column, what what day of the week does it come out? Uh, well, it's, it's not every week, uh, and and you know the way it works now. Unfortunately, there's there's no travel section in print anymore. So I mm. believe it's going to come out on Fridays, every two or three Fridays. But you can just follow me on Twitter, and uh, you, you'll find it there, Seth Kugel. Um, and there's also a homepage. You just put it tripped up into the Times, obviously, and it'll sure. pop up. Yeah, great. Well, I can't wait to read your next one. And it's been so great speaking with you, Seth. It was fun as usual. <laughs> well, that's it for this week's show. We thank you so much for listening. And as always, to those who are traveling, may I wish you a hearty bon voyage. I'll see you next week.